Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the 453rd episode of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and my guest today is a multi-talented artist who made his name as one of the funniest performers on NBC's Saturday Night Live from 2005 through 2013, impersonating the likes of Alan Alda, James Carville, and Vincent Price, and originating memorable characters like Weekend Update City correspondent Stefan. Then, in 2018, he reemerged as the co-creator with Alec Berg and producer, writer, director, and star of the massively acclaimed HBO comedy series Barry, on which he plays a tortured veteran of the war in Afghanistan who now splits his time between working as a hitman and trying to find work as an actor. A 20-time Emmy nominee, twice nominated for his work on SNL in the Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series category, for which no other member of the show's cast had been nominated in 29 years, he already has three wins to his name, two for Best Actor in a Comedy Series for the first two seasons of Barry, the great Bill Hader. Over the course of our conversation, the 44-year-old and I discussed how he was saved from a string of shitty starter jobs and brought to the attention of Lorne Michaels by Will and Grace star Megan Mullally, why he was never really able to enjoy his time on SNL, and how, after leaving the show, a part in the 2014 indie film The Skeleton Twins led to Barry, whether, three seasons into Barry, he still regards the show as a comedy rather than a drama, plus much more. And so, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Bill, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Great to have you. And on this podcast, we always begin truly at the beginning. Would you mind sharing with our listeners, where were you born and raised and what did your folks do for a living? Oh, I was uh, born and raised in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, my dad, when I was very young, drove. he ran restaurants and then he drove a truck for a little bit. And then he started running an air freight company. Um and then uh, my mom was a dance teacher. Did I see somewhere in prepping for this that your dad also at one point dabbled in comedy himself? Yeah, he, he and his brother, one of his brothers, they did a stand up like on a very, you know, like on kind of open mic type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he was really into comedy. And, and was that something that, I mean, 
uh, growing up was was comedy a, a big part of your life? I did read maybe some stuff, some impersonations on the school bus and class clown type stuff. But was it ever something? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. Impressions was just kind of like a way my family talked. Like we, we just everybody kind of does the voice of. You know, when you tell a story, everybody kind of does the voice of the people in the story. So that was just kind of part of our family. Um, but yeah, no, I was voted class clown. So <laughs> yeah, come by it honestly. Right. <laughs> so I guess the other side of of you, which you know, people have kind of uh, come to know more recently than the the fact that you're gifted at comedy, is that there is also this sort of uh, filmmaker auteur uh side obviously it's really become clear through barry and uh and i guess that also goes back pretty far was there was there a moment when it first occurred to you that you know there are people who actually direct and write these things that we all can oh yeah i just remember being very young and noticing the directors you know uh i mean obviously i think the the most famous one was steven spielberg when i was a kid um and knowing his movies, but then also I remember John Landis was one kind of saying like, oh, wow, okay, so this, the same name at the end of Blues Brothers is also, you know, Trading Places and American World from London and then, uh, you know, Thriller, watching the making of Thriller as a kid and then seeing him and going, oh, wow, so that's the same guy. And another one was uh, John McTiernan because <laughs> I like Die Hard right. and then seeing Predator sleepover and going oh that's the guy who did die hard and then hunt for october and you know so it was as a kid kind of just being a casual but big movie fan that was big that, that i started noticing that yeah and the whole family it seems like really was uh into film film history all of that i mean i know that you are you are a real knowledgeable cineast now where did that come from especially given the fact that i think you've said your parents were quite young when they had you so where did their knowledge even of this stuff come from um they you know that i think that most of that came from i mean they just had a i mean i think the thing that we did in our house is watch movies you know some families you know uh, play board games or, you know, or TV families or they go out and go camping and, you know, or, you know, things like that. Ours was a movie family. We just, that was what every day my dad would come home from the video store with a couple of, of VHS tapes and whatever he got, we would all sit around a family and watch. And because they, by the virtue that they were young, we were kind of watching what they wanted to watch. You know, it wasn't, there were kid movies, but that was kind of my grandparents lived uh, down the street from us. And so at their house, it was more, you know, kid appropriate stuff. But then at my, my mom and dad, you know, when I was at home, it was it was. Uh, yeah, we would watch anything, you know, everything from, you know, horror movies to I'm watching the movie uh, Moving with Richard Pryor. Uh, it's like weird memories of. Oh, these things. Uh, Miller's Crossing, I remember watching. Raising Arizona. Um, you know, the, all that stuff. But the idea that you might yourself end up sort of pursuing the arts in some way, thats it sounds like 
at least with your your dad sports was the was the much bigger emphasis was there a, there was a moment though it sounds like that i've read where he actually just totally saw something and came around right yeah yeah no he was really into sports and growing up in oklahoma i mean that's the kind of the the thing you know especially football and um and so yeah watching watching football, especially college football, being in OU and OSU and, and all that stuff. And, and my dad went to OSU and my mom went to OU. So there's like a rivalry and, you know, and uh, yeah, so that, that was also very big in the house was, was, was college football. And, um, and so the fact that I was inordinately tall for my age, you know, I think kind of, I was, um, you know, very much like sports that was very young. That was all about sports. And then, uh, but then also watching movies and things like that. And, and then, and then as time wore on, I think I kind of just I remember going to like a football camp, uh, and, and at OU with the Barry Switzer's football camp and just not fitting in <laughs> at all. I don't know why I'm here. And then I went to Nolan Richardson's basketball camp in Arkansas. And I, again, just like, don't, this is not my scene at all. I was in like seventh grade. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was hard when you're like, Hey, do you guys want to watch a gear? <laughs> 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 it doesn't really, <laughs> does anybody want to know? Burn a dream? No. Uh, but no, I was, but it it was it was like that, and then uh, and then I went. My my high school girlfriend was was gonna audition for the school play, which was Glass Menagerie, and so I was like, you know, I I'll, I'll go do that with you, you know, and uh, so I never thought of being an actor, but I went in and, and did this audition because my girlfriend was doing it. And uh, we both got parts. Uh, she was the mom, and I was the gentleman caller. And um, my dad couldn't make the opening night, so he came to our tech rehearsal. And after the tech rehearsal, I was like, "Okay, let's," because I was I dropped out of basketball and and stuff to do this. And when he saw me, he just went. That was amazing. I'm so proud of you. That was, I can't believe, how do you, how can you memorize all that stuff? Like, you were so good. Like he just, it's still the best review of all time. That's no, awesome. Nothing will top that. Yeah, nothing will ever top that. I was like so happy. I, it was the best. That's so amazing. And then, I mean, it seems like in terms of inspiring you to actually, you know, pursue this stuff more seriously in the going forward, that was one moment that stood out from what I, what I was able to gather. And then the other one was, I guess at, you know, maybe just around the time you were ending high school, did, I guess you, you lost your maternal grandfather who had been. Yeah. 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 Huge part of my life. Yeah. When I was 17. Yeah. And he was 62. Oh, wow. Early. Yeah. Yeah. And, and why did that, what, what kind of an effect did that have on you in terms of what you wanted to, go forward and pursue. Well, I think it just made me realize like this all ends, <laughs> you know, it was seeing somebody who, you know, I loved so much, um, 
and cared about so much and was such a good friend of mine. He was kind of, you know, I grew up in a house with like two sisters and my grandmother and my mom and my dad and my grandfather were working all the time. So the they were the two men in my life. And so I was really, you know, close with them. And, uh, and then my grandfather, especially when I was, uh, you know, younger and he, he was the one that got me into reading, which I still very much, you know, he's the first guy to take me to my novel idea bookstore in Tulsa. And, you know, I said, I have to get a book for, for class. And it was red badge of courage. And he said, well, no, you go pick out something that you want out of the fiction section, you know? And, uh, and I got Salem's Lot, Stephen King book, went home and like read it in like three days and was like, that was amazing. And it just got me hooked on this stuff. And, and, uh, he, he was just such a kind person. And then he got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer at the age of 60 and then died at 62, I think. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was awful just watching someone you care about and love that much slowly, you know, go away. And, and so I think I kind of put this, uh, and you know, they, my grandparents, they lived next door. So it wasn't kind of being co-raised by people, you know, like they, we were, they were, I was very close to them. So, um, it, it was, it was a big loss and, and, uh, it kind of made me, you know, I did terrible and I was not very good at, in school, um, but I went to a great school where they were smart enough to know, like, okay, you're, you're not applying yourself, but you're not dumb, you know, like you're just very interested in what you're interested in, you know, they, and I've, I've always appreciated that it's a place called Casha Hall. And, uh, they were just, you know, you should take, you know, filmmaking classes and you should try to get into a film because it's so clear that you're into this. And you're not doing drugs. <laughs> you're not like getting drunk, even though you're hanging out with all those people who are, yeah. you know, uh, I was just super, just narrow minded about movies. And so once my grandfather died, it was kind of this like, Oh, this all ends. I, I can't sweat all this other stuff. I need to like go make things, you know? And then I did that for a little bit and then moved to LA and got like really intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, let's break this down if we can, just so for people following along at home. I mean, I guess you you started in college, left in I guess June '99 to go out to. Well, I went to I went to a community college in Scottsdale, Arizona. Jimmy Kimmel loves it because he's from that area. That I went out of state <laughs> to go to a community college. He likes right. to remind me of that every time I see him. Uh, it, but I did. I I went out of state because this community college had a, a film program okay. that where they had they had like airy BLs and they had Avids and it was just sitting there and it was like oh my god this is I want to be making stuff I don't want to do theory or anything right. like that I want to make stuff right and uh, I made a short film did a rough cut of it was like this isn't you know. Uh, like this isn't like a Stanley Kubrick movie. <laughs> you know? I had such high standards, right. you know, and I was just learning, but I was 19 or 20 mm -hmm. and I was, this isn't what it should be. And, you know, and, and so I got, I got a little, uh, freaked out, you know, and I moved to LA and just like, I got a PA and 
So I moved out here and out to, to here. I moved out here in June of 1999. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you said the whole idea was to be doing something creative. But unfortunately, as anyone who's worked these shitty uh, entry level jobs in Hollywood knows you're not going to be left with much time to do that. And so no, that was, I mean, basically we're talking right like 99 until 2003. You're, you're, I read even one of the jobs where you driving Fred Armisen around. Yeah. I drove Fred. That was where I met Fred. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a short film that Bob Odenkirk directed and I picked up Fred from his hotel and drove him to, or no, no, no. I met him in, in a parking lot. Uh, and then I drove him in the, the production car to set. Right. And it was at the Fry's parking lot in Burbank, if everybody remembers where that is, a big Fry's store. Uh, uh, and he pulled up and he's like, hey, I'm Fred, where am I going? And I was like, oh, yeah, you got to ride with me or you follow me. I forget what it was. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's how I met Fred. Um, but mostly it's, I saw you said you were PAing on everything. Like the spectrum, I guess, spans from like the original Spider-Man movie, which must have been interesting because I know for that Sam Raimi and Sam Raimi, like Evil yeah. Dead was one of your huge big, right? yeah. but all the way from Massive. from that through, uh, I guess, porn adjacent. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I worked on a show called Night Calls where people would call in. Uh, it was like a phone sex show and they would have porno actors there and they would act out the fantasies that people were calling in. And I would have to go get coffee for the performers. And uh, and then, you know, it was kind of a thing of being out in the hallway. And it was the first live, my first live TV experience. Yes. And and then they're saying, uh, okay, they want, you know, uh, Krissa and, and, and Shauna need to come out. And it's a cowboy fantasy. And I was like, oh, Krissa, Shauna, I'm ready for you. <laughs> you know and uh and i just like oh my god my parents knew i was doing this i'd be fucking <laughs> annihilated i or my or they would just feel terrible but um but that but that actually wasn't that you know it was like hey everybody's making a living and right. they were also i mean they were really cool and it wasn't like some seedy terrible thing right, it was right. like everybody was you know but it did that, and I worked on a one thing called Two Little Heroes, which was like Home Alone, but with dogs. <laughs> it was like Home Alone, but if it was two dogs. And uh, that one I ran, I did the whole movie. That was like a three-week long or month-long shoot. And I slept on my friend's couch in uh, Toluca Lake because it was by all the places. Would you say, though, I mean, how would you, looking back, what was your mindset at that point does it sort of dawn on you at a, at a after a few years like this itself is probably not leading to anything you know what when i was pa when i was a pa on set i thought this was amazing i'm i'm in los angeles and i'm working on movies it doesn't get any better than this i'm waking up early i'm getting breakfast burritos with the crew i'm i just i was in love with it and that was so cool and uh, meeting people who had worked on And I worked on Collateral Damage. That was a big movie. I got to go to Mexico. And then I did a movie called The Scorpion King. And it was at Ma- Mystery Mesa. And I worked all night. I did a, like, we were doing nights for a couple of weeks. And uh, I was trying to drive home 
to my apartment from Mystery Mesa and I had been up for like 24 hours and I had to pull over and I fell asleep and I had like traffic just <laughs> and then uh, so, okay I gotta get a hotel and this is before you know I didn't have you know cell phone you know this is I had to, I got a Thomas guide and I went to a gas station do you know where a good hotel is and I went and I found this hotel and I went in and the guy behind the counter was crying. It was a man and a wife and they were crying. I go, what happened? And they were like, this woman, Andrea Yates, killed her kids. And, you know, and it was like the news had just broken or they were telling me about it. And then I was so I, I started crying <laughs> and I was just like, what is happening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, well, I cried. I thought this is, that's the worst thing I've ever heard. And then they gave me a room and I just laid there. And for some reason, those two things happened. I fell asleep. I woke up. And when I was leaving, I said, I can't PA anymore. Mm -hmm. I was driving home going, that's it. I'm done. I can't do that anymore. And and I guess, I, I guess sort of overlappingly or because of that, you end up signing up for your first comedy kind of. <laughs> Yeah. Class. The, well, that's, yeah. Ironically, that same girlfriend, for the reason I stayed with her for seven years, and she's the one that got me into acting, and then I'd stop acting. And then she broke up with me. It was like first big heartbreak. And then, okay, I got to do something new. And so I went and took Second City classes. And, um, and we're so friendly, so she likes to take credit. For <laughs> <laughs> well, she she can she can yeah, claim yeah, credit, but it seems credit. like the 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 person who really uh, can is Megan Mullally from yeah. Will and Grace. How did how did you first come to her attention? Uh, so Matt Offerman, her brother in law, Nick Offerman's brother, Matt is a good friend of mine, and and he was we were in a class show together, so they came to see Matt. Saw me in the class show, and I remember we went to Canner's Deli, and afterwards Megan was like, "You're really funny," and I, but oh, thank you. And she goes, "No, no, you're really funny. I'm going to tell Laura Michaels about you." And I went, "Oh yeah." <laughs> and then I was at the time I was working as an assistant editor on Iron Chef America, and I was in my edit bay, and Megan Lally called me and said, "I talked to Laura Michaels, and he would love to meet you. I hope that was okay." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> and then Lindsay Shookus called me. Hi, my name is Lindsay Shookus. I work at First Night Live in Marcy Klein's office. Um, we'd like to fly you out so you can meet Lauren Michaels. What? <laughs> you know. Now, did that? I, I, it's. I was trying to keep track of the order of events because I guess the thing that Megan saw you do that impressed her was actually was it part of the class or it was sort of a your own offshoot right no that wasn't no no so so what's confusing about this story so megan saw the class show and then laura michaels said i want to see what megan saw mm -hmm. well we couldn't bring the whole class to new york right uh, or we couldn't put that show back on because it was like an improv show mm -hmm. but i had my own i had a sketch group with three other guys uh mel cowan eric filkowski and matt offerman and we were like, well, we'll do it. We'll do a show. And then in the show, one of the sketches was like me doing impressions. It was me doing a character I ended up doing on SNL, Vinny Vedetti. Yeah, sure. Doing impressions. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was. And did Lauren, was. was there something about Lauren was going to come to L.A. to see you guys? Did he actually come to L.A.? He or? actually came out to L.A. He came to L.A., saw it, and then said, 
we killed. We did so well. And then he said, are those your friends in the audience? (laughs) (laughs) I said, maybe. And he said, okay, you got to come to New York where no one knows you. And so then we went out to the UCB theater in 26th street and, uh, in the audience was, you know, Amy Poehler and Seth Meyers and Tina Fey and, and Lauren and Marcy Klein and, Steve Higgins, everybody with their arms folded. All right. <laughs> I found out later Bobby Moynihan was at that show when he was just starting out. And and uh, and that show went well. I think you and said Amy was, was like the most super nice. noticeable one to kind of react immediately. She, yes. Yeah. Amy Poehler went <laughs> on my first <laughs> joke to like get people relaxed. Right. Because it was I was. It was so tense because even the guys I was doing the group with knew that it, they were all watching me, which was very sweet, but they all knew. So it was like, oh, we're just helping our friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll never, ever forget that. That was just really meaningful. And so I just, yeah, it was crazy. Now that went well, but did you still have to like go to 8H after that and do your kind of normal audition process? Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually, that was February 2005. And then my audition was July wow. 2005. And so, yeah, I went and did pilot season. I read for I, I read for Old Adventures of New Christine and I read for uh, How I Met Your Mother. And <laughs> I, 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 you know, didn't do well. Any <laughs> like, but yeah, I remember doing all those things. And uh, God, that must uh, have been wow. torture, that interim period where you're like, I'm. Yeah, just waiting. Yeah, yeah you're just waiting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just so people remember kind of how, you know, when you hit the scene, I think you came up in the same class as Samberg, Kristen Wiig, Sudeikis. Is that right? All in the same. Yeah, we and Colin Jost. And Colin yeah, we Jost. All were hired. Yeah, we were all hired the the same uh, and the lonely and they're lonely island guys and a guy named Brian Tucker who still works at SNL. We were all. Did you time. all audition at the same time as well? No, uh, Jason was a writer on the show and he was actually on the show. And then, uh, Andy and I auditioned at the same time. And I believe Kristen auditioned later Okay, because Kristen came in later. She was, she didn't do the, my first show. She, she did like the fifth show later. She came in a couple shows late. Do you remember Um, what, you know, you get to 8H, I know you've spoken about for even, you know, once you were even on the show, there was a large element of stress and anxiety about what you're dealing with but was the, the i can't imagine the the audition must have been the scariest no you know what the audition i was nervous but it wasn't like it, it wasn't like doing the, the doing the show for me was way more nerve-wracking because it was live and the material was stuff that i had just been you know not just been handed but you've been working on but i wasn't that familiar with where like an audition you could hone it you could think about it you could get it perfect and then feel confident in it and you weren't on live television. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, um, uh, but the live TV part was, oof. well, be, I'm yeah. going to come back to that if it's all right. But for now, like, do you remember what you did and how it went over at the, at the audition? Yeah, I did Vinny Vedecci doing impressions. So it was Vinny Vedecci doing Al Pacino and, uh, Tony Blair, uh, James Mason and Peter Fox. <laughs> Nice. You know, like the, the kids, yeah. people, the kids like. <laughs> um, and then this was, if this is true, this is kind of a 
a crazy uh, little, you know, side note, but is there something with, with you and Neil Gaiman? Like where... Oh, yeah, Neil Gaiman. I was reading a lot of his books, and uh, and I had this weird thing where I became super superstitious about his books, so I would keep them on me. So when I did my audition, I had a copy of one of his books. When I met Lauren, I had a copy, like... When I got the call, I just bought one of his books. So I, it was just this weird superstition I had that I had to have a Neil Gaiman book on me. And so you go back to you go back to L.A. I guess after your audition, we've had a bunch of folks on from SNL on the podcast who say they're never totally clear that they've been actually hired. hired. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was that your experience? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember it fully, but I think I was at the newsroom cafe, which isn't there anymore, but it was at yeah, Robertson. Yeah, live right around the corner. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, so that, I was there with Naomi Odenkirk, who was my manager at the time, and I went to the bathroom, and when I came back, she had a, her phone in her hand, and she just handed it to me, and she said, take this outside. And I went outside, I was like, hello, and it's like, hi, this is Marcy Klein. And I said, oh, hi. She's like, um, so you know you got hired, right? I said, no, I didn't know I got hired. She went, oh, you got hired. <laughs> and she said, you're going to be on the plane with a guy um, who is me with Lauren. He's not hired yet. Um, his name is Andy Sandberg. Um, I went, oh, okay. And so Andy was, I was on the plane with Andy and he's going like, God, is it between you and I? Like, <laughs> I had to fly us both out. And in my head, I was like, do I tell them they told me I have it? But like, what's going on, you know? And I was like, I just remember saying like, dude, they're going to fly. They're going to hire you. Why would they fly you all the way right, up? Right, right, right. Not to hire you. And then I remember we got grounded at Dallas airport because it was a bad storm. And we were trying to get beer. Uh, and we were kind of flirty with one of the stewardesses to like bring us beer and we went up into first class and he went up first class came back he's like dude steve carell and judd apatow are up there because they were doing press for 40 virgin <laughs> right and so then i walked up and i pretended to get something and like you know would look at them and walk <laughs> off you know it's <laughs> like, like holy shit that's so crazy like, we're, just, we're, we're freaking out and we will we will note that you have since done five movies with judd apatow so yeah yeah <laughs> judd's now like a friend yeah and steve hosted our first show right. it, was, it was nuts that's yeah. great um all right, so to come back to what you were saying a second ago, and I, I mean, y you started in the fall of 2005 as a feature performer. A year later, you're a full cast member. In 2012, you're the first SNL male performer in 29 years to get a supporting acting Emmy nomination. Then you do it again the next year. I mean, people were obviously responding in a big way to your work. And if you don't mind, I'm just going to mention a bunch of the characters. So people, if it brings back a bunch of memories for folks, uh, Alan Alda, James Carville, John Malkovich, Keith Morrison from Dateline, um, Rick Perry, Vincent Price, Shepard Smith, Herb Welch, and of course, Stefan. Uh, but like, it seems like throughout your entire time doing this, there was this cloud over your head that you prevented you from being able to really enjoy it or feel that you were doing well or can you can you just explain because it's for an outsider that sounds crazy you're 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 you should be on top of the world but yet it sounds like it was not a fun thing for you a lot of the time 
Uh, yeah, it was the live aspect of it. You know, it was pre-tape stuff. I was always way more comfortable in, but the live aspect of it was just really hard on my nervous system. You know, I had a very hard time. Um, yeah, just having panic attacks and having a hard time, you know, breathing and and um, so I started like you know. Um, you know, trying to learn to meditate, but that wasn't until like my last season, you know, but yeah, it was just this, yeah, it was a very, very tough time for me. It was just very, I, I loved it af- in retrospect, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like the worst version of the anxiety of going on a roller coaster and then that relief when it was over with. Right, right. But it was that times like a billion. It was just, you know, uh, Monday it was like a clock started. And then it was just like ticking clock all the way that goes off at 11.30 Saturday night. And I just, it was just a constant state of trying to keep myself calm. And, and I think to the other cast members, they just thought I was really dramatic and annoying. Well, <laughs> but... But I was, yeah, it was hard. Yeah, it was, it was, but I, I hit it, you know, it was kind of like a thing like inside, you know, I was this thing, but I would, you know, be goofy and chat and, you know, it wasn't like I was walking around like, uh, you know, somebody, you know, some crazy person, right. but, um, but inside, yeah, it was, it was very, very hard. Well, and I saw that you'd said that, you know, a lot of people who would be there, whether it's you know, castmates or maybe, I don't know, even hosts thought you were being dramatic, but can, can I mention a few of the ways that apparently can't actually manifested and you, I may, tell me if it's true or not, but I mean, like one time Sudeikis, did he have to like, you actually lost your vision? Well, that was a migraine. I got a migraine. Yeah. Would that be a, a stress migraine though? Probably. Yeah. It might be stress. Yeah. But I think it was stress, but and not sleeping well and not eating well, yeah. But I had to hold on to his hand to where I stopped, and I knew what my line was, but I just couldn't. Uh, it was Appalachian Emergency Room, and I, I didn't know where my... I knew where the cards were, and I knew where to look, but I was just like, I'm so fucked up right now, and I just, yeah. So if you watch it, I think I'm, like, holding on to his arm, or I'm holding on to something. I guess the other one that you've spoken about where it really was blowing up and I, I watched it today and I I I don't think I'm, I don't think it was that noticeable at all to anyone in the audience but us, when you're doing Julian Assange I guess as the cold yeah. open that was a bad one yeah yeah with uh PayPal yeah Jeff Bridges hosting mm-hmm. yeah that was that was bad that was like but it was it is like inside it's like you know, on alarm, alarm bells are going off, everything's going on. And I remember I was just doing so much of it into this wine glass mm-hmm. and I was talking and I or Jenna stage manager was, you know, motioning to me, like put the wine glass down, put the wine glass. Cause I would do this thing when I get nervous, I put my hands in front of my face, um, which then became a, I was going to say, thing. is that, yeah. that was, yeah. was that because you were nervous throwing stuff on or was that, uh, no, I think it's just me being nervous in general, and then I could add it to a character. So everybody thinks I'm smelling my hands, <laughs> and I'm actually just, it's what I want to do in every sketch. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's certain things I watch, my hands constantly creeping up in front of my face, mm-hmm. and especially on update. So I remember the guys who ran update would be like, dude, you got to put your hand down because you're covering your face. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. I just, I was so 
just gets so uh yeah it was but but that but that that one was in particular like i went after did that one and we're going to the dressing room and just being kind of like catatonic and just going what did i do like i just fucking blew that Mm -hmm. and just going around everybody going did i screw that up i just i know i just screwed that up and it was just like what you said you're like it was fine if i wasn't i was like no 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 i just i blew that you know it was just now it to to pinpoint it like you don't have this when you're working on barry or you're making a movie it's the live aspect of it yeah it's the very much the live aspect of it and and uh i I mean award shows too i don't like don't i don't like being i get very anxious Mm -hmm. and again it's just it's that countdown and now we're on live television right right yeah that that thing i do it even in like news when i've been like on like news morning shows yes. and they're like oh we're live and i go <gasps> yeah yeah <laughs> i just i just start to have a little panic um but like if i'm in front of an audience you know a big audience someplace that doesn't really throw me too much it's it's just live television and sort of the abstract <laughs> it sounds like maybe just the abstract idea of there's a big audience out there it's not yeah 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 it's just this pressure hits me with the red light comes on it's just weird pressure yeah that yeah hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Just one last uh, SNL question, if I can. I mean, you... Uh, it seems like if, if somebody were, if you counted what people talked to you about when they came up on the street or, uh, I would guess, and obviously tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing Stefan was the character, oh, 100%, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. can you, for that reason, and because I guess it was really even part of your send off when you did leave SNL after the eight years, um, where did that guy come from? Uh, I think you've said it's you and Mulaney, but like, where where did it? And why was it? Do you think so memorable? And I'm not. I mean, it was, but I'm curious what your reason. Why? Um, well, to give credit where credit to you, I mean, so much of that is John Mulaney. I mean, John Mulaney deserves most of the credit for that. I mean, I I mean, I, I performed it, but he wrote all that stuff and, and, and the idea to do it was John's and, and I, John Mulaney deserves a ton of credit for that character. Um, I think it came from some, a guy John met and he's wrote him these emails that kind of were in that rhythm, you know, like New York's hottest club is this. I think one of the things is that the club was a room full of broken glass. I don't know if that was a joke or if that was, <laughs> But anyway, so that he goes sent that, and then there was a barista um, in Chelsea where I lived at the time that 
that I would chat with sometimes at the, at the neighborhood coffee shop. And he, he was kind of that guy. And then, um, and then, yeah, I don't, I don't know why it, it's interesting. I just, the amount of, 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 of gay men and women who come up to me about that character, it's very satisfying how much they just, they really love it, but they love it on such a level of, of, uh, it's like a very emotional attachment to it. They're like, there's like a real appreciation to it. And I, what I liked about it was that Stefan wasn't, uh, you know, I think it was a thing John and I always kind of just naturally did was like, no, the joke can't be that he's, you know, gay. It's like, that's not like, that's like, that's pretty hacky. It's kind of like the joke is that he's like bad at his job. Yeah. Like he's, 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 he's lying, right. you know, <laughs> city correspondent. <laughs> he's a city correspondent, but I don't, none of these places exist. Right. He didn't really <laughs> Or maybe they do or not. He's just on a lot of drugs. Right. And he's just like the wrong person to ask. <laughs> but and then I think just the writing of it was so good. And then trying to play it in a way that was, you know, an update. You could play things. There's a difference between like performing and acting. An update you can kind of act. You can make it a little bit smaller and and elliptical and, and make it a little quiet and and uh, behavior. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and uh, that that was a lot of fun to be able to do. And I guess there's also got to be something where I think audience members love watching the cast members Me break up, right? Well, that was the big thing with that one. Then it just got to a place where it's like, okay, if you don't laugh, is it weird or whatever? So John was really, you know, throwing some stuff out, and <laughs> you know, I don't know. There's there's some that I'm I look back on and I'm like, did I really find it that funny? I'm trying just to like keep it going. I mean, I probably was in some ways. But there was some where he really, he really, I mean, I, I always was laughing. Yeah. It wasn't like I was fake laughing, but some of them, I think I knew what was coming or I heard what was coming and it still made me laugh. But some really took me off, well, some really took me off guard and really got me hard. Well, you know? I believe one of those, and, and I'll just mention it because it's a, uh, it's sad that the the namesake is has just left us, but I believe uh, Gay Leota was, was yeah Gay Leota yeah <laughs> that was the first one that was the very first one yeah. it was it was initially Amnesia Bernstein was the name <laughs> and uh, of the tr club promoter and 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 that was that's what I mean it was like as I was walking out John goes oh I changed Amnesia Bernstein to Gay Leota and I went oh okay and then. I got up there and then I said it for the first time and I just started laughing at how lazy it was. What a lazy name. Right. <laughs> and it just made me laugh. But really, you know, what made me laugh in those a lot was what I was saying, but also how patient Seth Meyers is with me. Yeah. How, right. how, how patient Seth Meyers was, was always making me laugh. Like, all right, now Stefan, like, you know, he's just trying very hard to just keep it on track right. and, but but also not judge too much and you know well they had a it's nice they had a happy ending together uh, oh yeah but yeah. Uh, in terms of movies which a lot of people start or some people start while they're on SNL and that was the case with you I know some people are saying well you should go do a stuff on movie like they did their Wayne's World movie or other you know spinoffs obviously that didn't uh that was something you you I guess did not pursue or resist or whatever but look can we just note there's a lot of these where you became like the guy who was in every funny 
movie. They're super bad. Pineapple Express, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, Tropic Thunder, Adventureland. Um, all of these, I think, either during or just shortly after your time on SNL. But the the one yeah. that was really like the the game changer in the way that I know I, I for me and many people that we didn't even know that you had a desire to go this far away from what you had been doing before was the Skeleton Twins, where um, and I think the way that you just to remind people you're playing this, well, there's siblings, they're both uh, having struggles, and um, there it's you and Kristen Wiig, so maybe people might have one sort of expectation of what kind of movie this was going to be, totally just. Very, very impressive, but the the way it played out. But the fact that it happened at all sort of came out of the fact that you were getting no traction with casting directors, right? In terms of that's right. Yeah, with with getting yeah, trying to get in like those um, yeah, more dramatic. I guess you would say more dramatic type stuff. And so my agent was like, "Well, why don't you go and do table reads for dramas?" And so I did a table read for a. Uh, a movie uh, and A.V. Kaufman was the casting director and she saw me in the read and thought it was really good and and uh, and it and it worked out like she thought I was good in that and then Craig came in and they wanted another actor and she said you know you should look at and Craig went the guy from <laughs> Stefan that guy she's like he was really good and, and that that meant a lot yeah so then yeah so Craig the first time I met him he said you know A.V. Kaufman says I need to meet you but I just know you as guy does impressions and so that was very cool that was that was a cool experience well and you've said that quote i didn't feel like i was an actual actor until they showed skeleton twins at sundance close quote 100 percent, yeah 100 percent. never consider myself an actor and then i think i remember this it, it, kevin pollock stood up and said something like incredibly nice like we had no idea you had that in you and it, and it got a, it got just such a positive response at sundance and then really is what when I had my meeting at HBO, they said we would rather see you doing something like Skeleton Twins as far as your acting than what you were doing on Saturday Night Live. We're, we're more interested in that. You're talking about when so because it was really right after Skeleton Twins that you struck this kind of, I guess, development deal with HBO. So you're saying yeah. it was because they saw this other side of you that they wanted to work with you. Well, they liked SNL, but they they were just like, this is we love you and skeleton twins and we like that side of you. Is there anything you want to develop with us that has more of a dramatic comedy drama type feeling to it? That we'd be interested in, but we're more interested in this and not sketch characters, which I, I wasn't interested in that either. Mm -hmm. So that, that's how, that's how that happened. Yeah. And so that was 2014. Barry goes on in 2018. And I guess just to quickly note that in that interim period was also, documentary now which is great you guys yeah. did that um there was disappearance of eleanor rigby another like not comedic thing at all yeah um train wreck which is obviously comedic back with judd but you're sort of the straight man in it yeah um yeah. so it just feels like you were kind of uh branching out in a lot of ways. And then the other thing that I saw that I wonder if this was valuable for going into the writer's room of barry is you'd had experience in the writer's rooms with South Park and with Inside Out at Pixar. How did, what, yeah. what were, what were, how did that even happen with those things? 
well, I became friends with Matt Stone and, and he would talk about the South Park room and I would say, man, I, I love how you guys structure stuff. I would love to watch, watch you guys work and hang out. And he was like, well, you can come and get paid. You can like contribute. But I really just hung out. I would pitch jokes and things, but mostly it was, I was just watching those guys work and how they came up with a story and how much, even though it's South Park, like how, how much emotion went into it and was driven by emotion and all these things. And so it was really fun for me to sit and watch Trey and then kind of go, okay, I would do this. And then he would do another thing and go, why did he do that? Oh, that's interesting. Like it was, it, it was like the best writing school you could possibly go to. Mm -hmm. And it was the same thing with Pixar. And the reason Pixar is so good and Inside Out is so good is because they wrote every day on that movie for five years. You know, every day honing it, doing story reels, trying stuff, didn't work, do the, you know, and yeah. And you would really, forever. you'd like go up to San Francisco? I would right? go up there and hang out. Yeah. And I remember one time I went up there and they were like, oh, Pete wants to do this thing um, called Personality Islands. And, uh, you know, he, he likes you, uh, try to talk him out of the person. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, you know, when I was like, Pete, I don't know if these personality items work. And he's like, Oh yeah, no, I think they're pretty good. I, uh, I think, you know, I, I think they're, it will be a big emotional experience seeing those things like crash and when Riley's blows up and all. And I was like, all right, you know, uh, your funeral, pal. <laughs> and, then, and boy, were we wrong. Well, you know? and, and we'll just remind people you ended up playing or voicing uh, Fear as yeah. well in that. So um, and voicing, speaking of, the, I mean, how crazy a full circle thing must it have been to be voicing somebody for a Spielberg movie with BFG? I mean, that's your guy. Oh, yeah, that was yeah, that was. That was one of the coolest experiences I just getting to watch him work. And I, I think I was probably annoying on that movie because I was just <laughs> following him around, asking questions. And, oh, my God, I was I think back on my experience of that and I, I get embarrassed. I'm like, oh, my God, I think, you know, when someone's trying to work, you can't be like, what was the hardest shot in Jaws? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like, dude, the guy's fucking directing man, leave him alone. You know, it's uh, yeah. Well, so Barry, four years after you do this deal with with uh, HBO comes comes to fruition. Why, though, did you and Alec Berg knew each other already? Why? And how did you come together? And also why it wasn't your original thing, which you went pretty far down the road on was not this story. Yeah. Well, Alec and I knew each other a little bit, but we had the same agent, Matt Rice and, and uh, Matt. I was like, I think you two should meet and work together. And so uh, we were at the premiere of Clear History, which I was in and he worked on. And I remember us chatting there. And then we went to a diner, got together and talked. And I remember he came to a screening of uh, Skeleton Twins. And uh, so we just were kind of like hanging out. And, and then we had this idea for a, uh, a, movie, a show about uh, my this guy I grew up with. It was kind of the guy that I played in Hot Rod. It was based on this guy. And then, like, oh, we'll do a show about him. And it was kind of a day-in-the-life type of show. And, and it was one of those things, like, we got the pilot figured out, and we liked it. And then 
just was like, well, okay, what would the next episode be? And then it just got like really boring and uh, we didn't have anything. And so it was like, well, what if, what's something with stakes, you know, and we should do something that has more stakes. And I mean, I have to admit, I was watching, you know, Breaking Bad mm -hmm. and, and, and loving Breaking Bad and, and. Uh, well, I'm sorry. I just, I just, only because you bring up Breaking Bad, I had read something that, did Better Call Saul a visit to the set or something also factor in? Oh, I visited the writer. I visited the writers' room of Better Call Saul, but they got no work. I was just like, again, just full geeking out, like <laughs> getting no work done. It was very embarrassing, but uh, just doing bits and just being like, I can't believe I'm in this room. These guys are so cool. <laughs> sorry, and, sorry uh, to interrupt. I didn't mean to. Yeah. Oh no, to that's no, 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 man. I, that's all I did to them. I was just in. I, no, I mean, it's just like. <laughs> It's like, so how did you guys know that Hank, you know, and, um, and then, uh, so, cause I don't watch a lot of TV. Like I was never, I'm more movie mm -hmm. books, mm -hmm. uh, type person. And so it was helpful kind of seeing how they were doing their thing. And then, uh, and then, um, uh, you know, I've said this, but it was like out of frustration, we were at S and W diner in Culver city. And I said, what if, what if it was like a, I was like a hitman, but it's me. You know, and he was like, oh, Hitman is like dog catcher. It's like a fake thing. There aren't real <laughs> Hitmen. And they're always like they got two guns and they're always as heavy. And I was like, no, 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 it, it'll be like real, you know. And and then we proceeded to write a version of the pilot that was very unreal <laughs> where <laughs> it was like he was a Hitman. But there was like a whole Hitman kind of community in LA and there was a barbecue with Hitman and they were all kind of like these like biker kind of guys and stuff and you know and he had a friend who was a Hitman and all this and but the acting stuff was great it was just the Hitman stuff didn't work and then um we gave it to HBO and they said this acting stuff works but the Hitman stuff like is that real is that is that from research or like <laughs> we're like nah we're just making it up <laughs> And it was, nah, it doesn't work. And then in that, the day after that meeting, I remember again, just, what if he's a Marine? I was like, yes, okay, there you go. And then that, and then we're Alec going, and he can't have a community because he should be searching for a community. And I was like, ah, yeah, you know, and then, it, you know, we just kept at it. And then I was actually shooting the BFG in Vancouver when we had that, call and i remember i was writing in my hotel room and going yes okay that's it so we'll get rid of this and we'll do it and uh and it was it was a big aha moment but that took like a year yeah yeah yeah, yeah. of like writing it and figuring out whatever and then someone just goes along and just pulls one thread and you're like shit all right no we're gonna go figure this out and that has never ended that has never ended well you work super hard in the thing and then you you know you know. Well, for I guess though, was it exciting or daunting for you to know that having never directed anything before, your pilot, which is going to determine whether or not you have any sort of a future at HBO and maybe beyond that in terms of making your own stuff like this, that you, it seems pretty ballsy that you were 
Good. That was going to be the first thing you directed, and then also later the the next two. But and now we're out, obviously you've proven people that more than proven that you're up to that. And I mean, people talk about. I think they're going to teach the um, Ronnie Lilly episode from season two, and you did m- numerous season three, and I think you're going to do everyone in season four. Sounds like directing, but I mean that first step into directing has is that intimidating? Um. I was just excited because I've been chomping at the bit to do that. And people say this to be honest, like, uh, it, it, it was, uh, I've wanted to do that since I was like 10. Yeah. You know, like I was so obsessed with it. And, um, and Alec Berg literally was the guy that, cause HBO said, well, can you direct? And Alec went, Yeah. But he didn't know, <laughs> you know, but he, he vouched for me, you know, right. he did me. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to do it if it wasn't for, for him vouching for me. It was massive. And so and so doing it was just exciting, man. It was just oh, I'm finally it was so fun. And I, mean, I was nervous, but I was also just elated the yeah. whole time. Like, this is so much fun. And uh, I just was like, man, I hope this show goes because I have I have. I, I've never had this much fun. Yeah. You know, I hope this happens. I just, I think the anxiety hit after the pilot was done and I was like, man, I hope this happens. That was the most fun I've had right. in my career, you know? Well, and the, there's of course the third element of this is the writing, which, um, I wondered, look, especially after seeing how Barry third season ends, do you guys deliberately paint yourself into a corner each season and then figure out I've got how do how the hell are we going to get out of this or do you have yeah. it do you like do you know where this is actually going long beyond this No I mean what happened was was in season 3 covid happened so we shut down for like a year and a half mm-hmm. and we so we outlined season 4 and then doing that getting the outlines together went back into season 3 and started changing stuff so that that kind of helped but the the basics of, of Barry season three was there before COVID. You know, the basic big moment things were were all there. You know, there was just uh, there was some stuff was just kind of messy that we had to like figure out like that was in the middle. So yeah. you in your own mind don't know where this all is going to end. No, no, <laughs> no. But that's kind of what's fun about it. It's kind of like uh, performing too. You know, yeah. it's it's like you're discovering things and then. The thing is, though, is you have to be like really hard on it. You have right. to hone it and and have time. Right. That's the biggest thing, man. Is just the time to work on it. And we were really lucky with HBO in season three that they let us go back and do some reshoots and things like that. Um, with just the last minute, if I can, just three kind of big picture. Just first thing that comes to your mind, if you don't mind. As you've, I'm sure, seen a lot of people after season three in particular are asking the question in not in, in any negative way at all, but just the question comes up, is Barry still a comedy? What's your, what's your response? Um, I just always found it as a story, you know, we're just telling a story that has funny things and dramatic, you know, it's, it's, I think cause it's 30 minutes, it's a comedy, you know, and it, and it does have comedic things and me and Henry are mostly known for comedy. So I understand that, but I just, to me, it's just, we're just telling a story, but I would never want to go, well, the story wants to go here, but we're a comedy, so we can't go there. And, and I never, yeah, yeah, I don't, I couldn't do that. 
Uh, number two of three, I believe you've, I know you've been back obviously to SNL since you left the, the show, but I gather that they've, one of the, one of the times they've asked you to come back and said, you know, will you reprise Stefan? Uh, there's a certain reluctance to do that because maybe the times have changed or whatever. What, what is the, what's your feeling about Stefan these days? Uh, I think it was, I go back and forth on it. You know, I, I think I said that in an interview and I was, oh, I don't know. And, and then I had some friends reach out, um, who were gay or like, what? No, you gotta go back. Like that thing's so funny. You gotta go do it, you know? And, and, um, but, but, you know, I mean, I think with SNL though, in general, I'm so busy on Barry and my brain is so fried from Barry. It's just hard to, right. <laughs> you know, so to be fair, I, I, I think what might have got lost in that was, and, or maybe I didn't say right, was, it was to come back on someone, when someone else was hosting to come back and it was a, a, someone who was hosting reached out to me and was like, Hey, would you want to do this? And I went, I don't know if I want to you know, is it okay? Or, you know what I mean? I just didn't, I was trying to be um, respectful and, and, and understand, but, but yeah, it, it's like, I go back and forth on it. Yeah. And then just finally, just to lay out the facts, two of the most nominated comedies at the Emmys this year are Jason Sudeikis' show and your show. You're also nominated for the three guys you play on Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, which is awesome. And we're not even having had time to get into any of that. But, um, you know, Barry's obviously people, people are loving it and you're back working hard. I think that's what you're in the middle of doing right now, right? You're, yeah, right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess my question is, knowing what, what life looks like today, if Megan Mullally had not recommended you to Lauren Michaels, where do you think you would be today? Oh and, and what do you think your life would look like today? Oh man, I have no idea. I really have no idea. I, I would have just been trying to make stuff. I mean, I know that. And I think honestly, cause right when I got an SNL was right when YouTube happened, you know? So I think maybe making stuff for YouTube and there's so many more, much more avenues to make things, you know, when I was young and trying to make stuff, it was, you had to have like a lot of money, yeah. you know, and now you just need your phone mm -hmm. and that's it, you know, and, and it looks great. It looks better than what we were trying to make in the early two thousands, late nineties, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, with that technology, just learning and, and making stuff and failing, you know, failing and trying to make it work again and failing and you know still still you know keep going for for that you know that was kind of where that was right i was just figuring that out when snl happened you know um and then that was like shot me into the stratosphere of like okay now you're doing that but on this way bigger stage than what you expected so it was very overwhelming for like half of it i was there for eight years the first four i was i was like not sleeping and yeah, you know, it was just, it was so overwhelming. And then by we get to work, I'm like, Hey everybody, hey, what's going on? <laughs> you know, but inside it was just like, Duh, 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 you know? yeah. <laughs> just going crazy. Yeah. So, um, I would hold, I, the short answer is just making stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just making stuff. Well, uh, thank you so much for all the stuff you made. Thank you for doing this. I really uh, appreciate oh, it. Thanks for having yeah, me, man. Absolutely. Thank you so much.
Thanks very much for tuning in to Awards Chatter. We really appreciate you taking the time to do that and would really appreciate you taking a minute more to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or your podcast app and to leave us a rating as well. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me via Twitter at twitter.com slash Scott Feinberg. Until next time, thanks for joining us. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.